Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is David, and I serve as an intern here. Uh, and I just wanted to pause and add my thanks to what Matt said a few weeks ago uh, about pastor's appreciation last month. Um, it was very kind of you guys to include Joanna and I in that, and we were just really overwhelmed. Um, Matt was right. You guys are ridiculous. Um, so thank you very much. It's an, it's an honor to serve here, so thank you. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about what I believe is one of the most important truths in the Bible. For me, coming to understand this truth really revolutionized everything about my relationship with Jesus. And I don't feel, I don't remember hearing much about this growing up in church. Uh, It's possible I wasn't listening, right? (laughs) But um, either way, um, if you are somebody who grew up in church, maybe this is some new information for you. Or maybe you're here and you're new to the Bible and you're new to church. And if you are, I'm so glad that you're here because I wish I had understood this earlier in my life. You see, for many years, I saw Christianity as a list of rules that I had to follow that were made up to take away fun things from me. Growing up in the church, it seemed like I was told that I had to do all these things that kind of sounded boring, and I couldn't do all these things that kind of sounded fun. I grew up in a, in a household that was maybe on a, a little bit legalistic, and we kind of focused on things that we could and we couldn't do. I remember being told that I wasn't allowed to run in the church building because it was God's house. There's about zero scriptural support for that, but that's what I was told when I was a kid. Um, Kind of felt like they might as well have been saying, you can't have fun in church. Uh, We weren't allowed to watch a lot of stuff my friends were watching uh, because my parents said that it was inappropriate. And I'm not talking about R-rated or even PG-13 movies. I'm talking about like kids shows. Like I remember we couldn't watch Rugrats anymore um, because they used potty language in one of the episodes. Like we we weren't allowed to watch it anymore. We had to be at church all of the time. Like, I tried using the, the sick excuse, like, oh, I'm sick, I can't go. It didn't work in my household unless you had a fever or you were currently throwing up. Like, that was the only way that you actually got out of church. My mom was a nurse, so she knew when you actually were sick, so you couldn't get away with that kind of stuff in my house. And I, and I remember also, we had, to, we had to dress up when we went to church. Like, I have a distinct memory of crying in my room as my parents are forcing me to wear a suit as a little boy so that I could go to church. And I could go on, but growing up, it felt like God wrote the Bible to take away fun things that I wanted to do and to make me do a bunch of stuff that kind of sounded not very fun. And maybe you felt the same way. Like the commandments of God are there to restrict you, are there to restrict your happiness, are there to restrict your joy. Whether you grew up in church or not, I think there's this stigma around God's commands that they're mean, that they're restrictive For me growing up in church, it felt like I was told that Christianity is all about denying yourself, bearing through saying no to everything that sounds fun, and living this miserable life until you get to go to heaven. Well, you die and you get to go to heaven someday. That's what it felt like I was told. Like, your life is going to be miserable, yes, but you get to go to heaven one day. Felt like I was told that following Jesus meant white-knuckling obedience and just denying yourself every second of every day and kind of being miserable. It seemed like Christianity wasn't much fun because God had all these commands that we have to follow. So wherever you came from this morning, whether it was traditional church background like me, or maybe you're brand new to church, this morning we're going to look at what the Word of God actually has to say about God's commands. Why does God give us commands? What is He working to accomplish in our lives when He tells us to do something or not to do something? What's the point of God's commands? 
Today we're going to be wrapping up our series in Exodus. And if you've missed any of those messages, that video kind of was a good recap of the story of Exodus. But I would also encourage you to check out our podcast and kind of get caught up in, in where we've been. Because we've, we've been talking about how really the story of Exodus is the human story. All throughout this book, we've been looking at how what happens here in Exodus is really just like what happens in your life and in my life. Talked about how God delivered the people of Israel from their captivity, how he chose Moses to lead them despite Moses' past and despite Moses' shortcomings, how he redeemed the people of Israel with the blood of a lamb, and how he sustained them in the wilderness. And we saw how that really is our story too. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, God has delivered you from your captivity, your captivity to sin, and he's chosen you despite your shortcomings, despite your past. He's sustained you and he's given you everything that you need and he has redeemed you with the blood of the perfect lamb, Jesus. Today we're gonna see that after doing all of that, God continues to move toward us in grace. Let's look at Exodus chapter 19 together, starting in verse one. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And by the way, this is the same mountain where God had appeared to Moses and promised him that he would bring the people back to this same mountain and worship God there. And so it's kind of come full circle for Moses. Continuing in verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, I want to focus on that first part of verse five there. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. This is where God begins to give the people of Israel the law. In the next chapter, we'll see the, you see the Ten Commandments, the famous rules that God gave his people for how they're to live. And then, really, the, the rest of the book of Exodus, the second half, actually, is all continuing these instructions on how they are to live as the people of God. And then the next few books of the Bible continue to go on and give these instructions. We call this the Old Testament law. But notice the results of their obedience. Sometimes we get caught up in all those, the details of the law that we miss, why God gave the law in the first place. What does he say here? He says that he gives it so that they will, if they obey him, they will be his treasured possession. You see, he gave this law so that they could flourish. God owned all things on earth, right? He owns everything, but Israel could become his treasured, his special possession. It's kind of like your child's favorite toy. They probably got a hundred different toys, but they have that one toy that they have to bring with them wherever they go. And if you leave that one toy somewhere, the world has ended and you have to go back and find that toy. And right, like, it's kind of like that. It's a little bit like that. If, If Israel obeyed God, they'd be his treasured possession, his special possession, that thing that he wants so desperately, a special relationship that no one else on earth was experiencing at that time. See, the Exodus was not just about getting Israel out of Egypt, It was about getting Israel close to God. It was about bringing them close to him. A few books later in Deuteronomy, Moses is restating the law for the people of Israel. 
before they go into the promised land. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. He will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think it's really easy for us to look at all 600 plus laws in the Old Testament and see them as restrictive. It seems like they may have blocked the Israelites from doing a number of things that were normal or even fun. But look at what we see in this passage and what we see also in Exodus. God set these commandments before them because he wanted to bless them. He wanted to make them his special possession. These laws were given so that they could flourish. And some of these laws might seem strange to us, and I'll admit that they're pretty weird, some of them. But the point of them was to set them apart. It was to bless them. It was to lead them into a flourishing life. I think sometimes Christians, I've heard them kind of try to come up with these theological significance within the commands that it's not really in the text I've heard people say things like there's different categories of the law or that God gave the food laws for their protection from disease. And, and maybe God had some of those things in mind and maybe some of those things are helpful. But what scripture says is that God gave them the law to set them apart. It says that I am God and you are my people and this is, the, this is how you're to live as the people of God. And, and I'm doing that so that I can lead you into a flourishing life where you are my treasured possession. Old Testament law was for their good. And just, just as it was for their good, God's commands for us today are also for our good. First truth this morning is that we flourish under God's law. We flourish under God's law. Let's look at what James said to New Testament believers in James chapter 1. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We often go to this passage to talk about being doers of the word, and that's a great thing. This passage certainly teaches that the Bible is not just some history book. It's not a book of good advice or good ideas. It's the word of God that should change how we live. But I want to focus on what's in that last verse. There's two things that I think are really fascinating in that last verse. It says that the law gives freedom. We often think of laws as taking away our freedom, right? Like there's, there's laws that we all have to abide by and we feel like those take away our freedom. But God's law actually gives freedom. See, God created the world. He knows best how it works. And so he gives us his word to show us where freedom can be found. 
And secondly, it says there's a blessing promised in following God's command. We're promised to be blessed if we do what God says. And I don't think this is just a blessing for doing what God says, like God, you know how we reward kids with some candy if they are obedient, right? I don't think it's just like that. I think it's also that, again, God created the world and he's saying this is where you can find blessing. And so he gives us these commandments that show us where blessing is found. God is a God who loves to reward Hebrews 11.6 says that God rewards those who seek him. And I think sometimes in church circles, we're like hesitant to talk about rewards, but the Bible isn't. The Bible talks about rewards all over the place. It says that those who follow God will be blessed. Those who do what God says will be blessed. That'll lead to a flourishing life. That doesn't mean that all pain and the hard things of life go away, right? We talked just last week about how God doesn't remove us from real life. He actually sustains us through real life. But in the middle of all that, when we follow God, it actually leads to blessing, leads to flourishing. We so often think of God's boundaries as restrictive, but Scripture's clear that they actually give freedom. They lead to blessing. They lead to a better life. What you need to understand this morning is that the blessings of God are never found outside of the boundaries of God. You're never going to find blessing. You're never going to find happiness. You're never going to find peace and joy outside of the boundaries of what God has said. We're never going to find blessing in what God says is wrong. You see, God wants to lead us into happiness and joy and contentment and into a better life. The problem is that we think we know better than God about where those things can be found. Right? We think that we know how to find happiness and how to find joy. We think that our, our sin is going to deliver those things to us. Or we think that maybe we're somehow the exception, that God's, we can go outside of God's boundaries and we'll somehow not get hurt, that, we won't, that we're going to find blessing outside of God's boundaries. But God's word is so incredibly clear that his boundaries are there to lead us into blessing. They're there for our protection. They're there to lead us into a better life. I have a friend who often says that God's commands are always a calling into something better. God's commands are always a calling into life. It's not that God is up in heaven wanting to take your joy away from you. In fact, it's the exact opposite. God is in heaven wanting to show you where true life and joy and peace and happiness and contentment, he's trying to show you where all those things can be found. And so God's commands, his, his law is always a huge sign pointing towards where those things can be found. He's saying this way to life, this way to happiness, this way to true contentment and peace that, that's nothing like the world has ever known. This is what I wish I'd understood earlier in life, that Christianity is not about denying what's good and being miserable until we die. Christianity is about following Jesus into a life that is actually better. There's two areas of life that I think help illustrate this, this truth about God's boundaries for us. Those of you with kids understand that rules are for protection, right? You have some rules in your household, I hope anyway, um, and those are designed to protect your children. Anyone who has a two-year-old has probably had the fun experience of telling them not to touch something that is hot or something that is sharp, and then they go ahead and touch it anyway, and then they hurt themselves, right? Well, in that moment of being told, no, don't touch that, your two-year-old is probably not thanking you for your wisdom and your love and your protection in their life, right? They're not like, oh, daddy, thank you so much for loving me and telling me not to touch that burner. No, they are thinking in their mind, they are trying to take something away from me that sounds really fun. That's what's going on in their minds. And I think we do that same thing with God's law. We think that God is trying to take away something that is fun. And he's saying, no, 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 no. This is for your protection. That is going to hurt you. Don't go there. Don't touch that. Don't do that. 
It's not because he doesn't love us. It's the exact opposite. He loves us and he wants to show us where true life can be found. I think this is also seen in marriage. See, marriage is a relationship that flourishes within its boundaries. I've been married for three and a half years. And when Joanna and I got married, we stepped into some very specific and some very really confining boundaries that weren't necessarily in place when we were dating. When we got married, we promised to be true to each other, to love each other no matter what. I promised to be her biggest fan and to have her first in my heart. That means no one else on planet Earth gets the time, the devotion, the attention that my wife gets. Not our, not our kids, not my parents, not my siblings, not my boss. No one on planet Earth gets as much of David as Joanna does. And those are some pretty like confining boundaries, aren't they? Like those are some pretty strict boundaries. But you know what? I don't see those boundaries as restrictive. I don't see those boundaries as taking away my joy. I don't see those boundaries as taking away something that is fun. In fact, it is the exact opposite. It is when I, it's when I stay within those boundaries that I find the most joy and satisfaction and the most blessing in life is when I stay within the boundaries of my marriage. Anyone who's going outside of those boundaries, who's cheating on their spouse, who's not giving, putting them first in their lives, they're going to find themselves miserable. Maybe they'll find some fake happiness for a minute, but we've all seen marriages that have ended in misery because someone thought they could go outside of the boundaries of their marriage and find blessing, and it never, ever works. Marriage is a relationship that flourishes within its boundaries, and I think the same is true in our relationship with God. God put boundaries in place to lead us into a better life, into a life that flourishes. Randy Alcorn said something that I think is so helpful as we consider God's commands. He said this, Satan's greatest victories and our biggest defeats come when he gets us to ask, should I choose what God commands me or should I choose what's best for me? The very framing of that question shows how badly we're deceived. We will not consistently choose God's way until we come to understand that his way is always the best way. Not occasionally a good idea, not sometimes the best way, but his way is always the best way. We'll be continually fooled by the enemy if we don't understand this. And this, this is why I think this truth we're talking about this morning is so incredibly foundational. Because you're not going to begin to gain victory in your life until you truly understand in your mind and believe in your heart that God's way is better. That his commands are for your good. That his law is trying to lead you into a better life. And if that's true... If it's true that his commands are for your good, then anytime we sin, we're trading what is best for what we want in that moment. Because we all want what's best for us, right? Like no one's trying to destroy their life. And if, what God's command, if God's commands are for our good, then when we sin, we trade God's best for us for whatever our heart is telling us is gonna satisfy us in that moment. Like the Israelites craving something for their stomach while in the wilderness and in that moment complaining to God and crying out to God, like, what are you doing we let our appetites tell us that, we let our appetites rule our life and really derail our relationship with Jesus. I think we need to learn from their mistakes and, and not be deceived into trading what is best for whatever our heart thinks will satisfy us in that moment. And I want you to, to notice a really, really important distinction here in the book of Exodus. God gives them the law after he redeemed them. He asked them to obey him after he has rescued them from their slavery. 
When they were crying out to him in Egypt, he doesn't give them the law and say, okay, after you've obeyed this for like three years, then I'll redeem you. No, no, no. He moves toward them in grace. He rescues them from their slavery. He calls them as his own. He adopts them as his children. And then he gives them the law. And that order is incredibly, incredibly important. The same is true for us as New Testament believers. You see, God does not call you to clean up your act before you come to him. He does not say, get your life in order, and then maybe I'll think about rescuing you from your slavery. No, he's already sent Jesus to rescue us. He's already made it totally possible for us to come into a relationship with him. He's already done everything necessary. He's already moved toward us in grace. And then he calls us to obedience. I think for too many years, Christians have gotten that order reversed. We've wanted people to obey, and then we'll accept them into our churches. But God has always done the opposite. Too many people, I think, have been turned off to Christianity because they dared to walk into a, a church building when they were still living in sin, and then they got judged by, other, by Christians for not obeying a God they don't even know yet. I pray that this is a church that gets that order right. I hope that wherever you came from today, you were welcome when you walked in that door. Please understand that we are not interested in just following some list of rules. We're not interested in being God's morality police. Here at Bridgewater, we don't expect that you're gonna act like a follower of Jesus when you aren't. And when you do make that decision to follow him, we don't think that your life is all of a sudden gonna look all pretty. That all of a sudden, all the sin is just gonna be wiped away. We understood that just like it was for me when I decided to follow Jesus, there was some mess. Just like it was for the Israelites when they were, were becoming the people of God, there was some mess, right? We see that in Exodus. All of us are messy. None of us are quite like Jesus yet. We all need Jesus to step into our mess and to pull us out of it. That's the whole point of the cross. So how do you view God's boundaries? They seem restrictive and mean or life-giving and leading toward freedom. Where is it that you're resisting God's boundaries? Because you see where you're resisting those boundaries, that's where you're believing a lie. If you think that God's boundaries regarding sex outside of marriage is taking away something good from your life, then you're believing the lie of the enemy that you know better than the God who created sex about how sex is best enjoyed. If you think that God's boundaries regarding lying is taking away joy in your life, then you're believing the lie of the enemy that lies will somehow lead you into freedom. But God's word is so clear that the truth is the only thing that will ever lead to freedom. If you think that God's boundaries regarding not making your life about accumulating possessions, if you think those boundaries are restrictive, then you're believing the lie of the enemy that life and joy and satisfaction are found in the things that we own and in the things that we consume and not in a relationship with Jesus. There's probably a million more examples that we could look at, but where is it that you're resisting God's boundaries? That's where you're believing a lie. And maybe this morning you need to sit down with a friend or sit down with someone in your small group and ask them to talk with you and, and help you through how you can resist those lies of the enemy because you're not gonna consistently choose God's way until you come to understand that his way is always the best way. Life with Jesus is the best life ever. I wish I'd fully understood that earlier in my life. When you follow God's law, life really is better. Christianity is not about uh, white-knuckling obedience until we get to heaven. It's about following Jesus into blessing, into a better life. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, that we'll never have to deny ourselves. I'm not saying that life isn't still real and life isn't still hard, but we get to follow Jesus into a flourishing life. We see in Exodus that God calls the people of Israel out of Egypt. 
He establishes them as his own people. And then he gives them a better way to live. Let's look again at verse 6 to see more of what that better life looked like. Exodus 19.6. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God called the Israelites to be a kingdom of priests. And the, the duty of a priest was to represent people to God. It was really to stand in the gap between uh, a sinful people and a holy God and try to bring the people closer to God. And so the Israelites weren't saved from slavery just for themselves, but for others. It wasn't that they got to sit around and enjoy everything that God had given them and just get fat and lazy, just enjoying the blessings of God. Their, their deliverance was not just a, it wasn't a destination, but it was actually the call to a mission. They were to serve as, as priests, and that meant a couple things. It meant to, that they were to set an example to the world around them. They were to live a set-apart, a holy, a different life that was attractional to those around them. It meant that they were to tell others about who God is and invite them to follow him in the faith that they had. It also meant that they were the ones who received and preserved the promises and the words of God that are now recorded for us in the Bible. You see, God saved the nation of Israel and he sent them on mission. In the same way, we are saved for God's mission. It's our second truth here this morning, that we are saved for God's mission. God saved us from our slavery to sin, and he gives us a new and a better way to live. But we aren't saved so that we can just sit around in the blessings of God and twiddle our thumbs. That's not what it's about. He saves us and he sends us on mission to reach the world with the same good news that rescued us. Here's how Peter put it in, when talking to New Testament believers in 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do you see the echoes of Exodus here in 1 Peter? God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, our deliverance is not a destination but the call to a mission. We are called to be priests, just like the Old, uh, the Old Testament believers. And that means that we are called to bring people closer to God. We're called to go back to that prison that we came out of, not to submit to our old master, but instead to proclaim the message of deliverance to other captives. We're called to tell others about how great life with Jesus is and call them into that life. Our salvation does not end with us. It's meant to bear fruit as we follow God into his mission to deliver others from their slavery to sin. You see, we were delivered from sin to proclaim the message of deliverance. One of our core values as a church is that found people find people. We believe strongly that if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you have been given a mission. You have found the grace of Jesus and it is now your job to, to find others who need to hear that message and to proclaim it to them. The more convinced we are that God's law is for our flourishing, I think the more we're going to live out the mission that God has for us. Because we're going to be so overwhelmed by the grace that we have received in Jesus and the amazing things that are true of our life now that we are follower of, followers of Jesus that we're not going to be able to help but tell others about it. They're going to be able to see the joy that's a part of our lives in the midst of a world that's full of fear and anxiety. I mean, to live with joy in the middle of that, that makes a difference. People ask questions. How are you able to live like that? And it's an opportunity to say, let me tell you about Jesus and the difference that he has made in my life. I think we do this naturally with products and brands that we love, right? We tell people about them because we, we love the good things that they've done for us. 
Like you don't have to hang around me for very long and you're probably gonna hear something about Danner or Carhartt or Mountain Hardware because I like the good things that they have done for my life. How much more should we be able to talk about the good things that Jesus has done for us? I get that it's a totally different level of sharing, but shouldn't we be able to share the good news about how Jesus has changed our lives? I think there can be a desire in churches to form holy huddles where we focus exclusively on our own relationship with Jesus and just kind of hold on until Jesus comes. We want to sit around and enjoy the blessings of God and almost ignore the world around us that's dying and going to hell. And at Bridgewater, we want to make sure that we are a church that is not sticking our heads in the sand while the world burns. We want to make sure that we are a church that is on mission, that we don't just sit around in the blessings of God, but we actually turn around and help tell others about those blessings and say, follow us into a life with Jesus. It's so much better. That's why we do everything we do as a church. Everything from our Sunday morning services to our weekly ministries, everything that we do is we're trying to tell people about the good news of Jesus, about the joy and the blessing that we found in him and help them follow him into a better life. We flourish under God's law. And we're not gonna make much progress in our walk with Jesus if we don't understand this foundational truth. We are not gonna consistently choose God's way until we come to understand that his way is always the best way. God is, God's commands are a calling into something better. God wants to lead us into a better life, but it doesn't end with us. We're called to turn around and be on mission. We're saved for God's mission. We began this series talking about the human story. We all begin in the same place. Like Israel, we are enslaved in our sin. We all have the same beginning to our story, but you get to decide how your story ends. Like he did for the Israelites, God has made a way for us to be delivered and brought back from our slavery through Jesus. Like God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness, he gives us all we need for a life of following him. And like he did for the Israelites by giving them the law, God continues to move toward us in grace by designing boundaries that are for our good and giving us a mission that can change the world. God has made it possible for us to walk into a better life that makes a difference. The question this morning is if you're going to fully follow him into that new life. I'm not talking about half-heartedly following some man-made religion, some man-made setup of rules, but about walking closely with Jesus. I'm not talking about playing church games and and doing the thing on Sunday and, and making it look like everything's okay the rest of the week. I'm talking about actually walking closely with Jesus. Whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, or not, that's the invitation of Jesus for you this morning. Whether you're brand new to church or you've been going to church your entire life, the invitation of Jesus is to follow him into a better life. Maybe if you grew up going to church, you've been following Jesus for a while, maybe today you just need to take some time to rediscover the joy of your relationship with Jesus. To not just be doing some dutiful thing, not, not to play church games, but to actually walk closely with Jesus. Take some time today, just think about the joy that is true because of your life, because of what Jesus has done for you. If you're brand new to church, then this inv- the invitation of Jesus is to follow him into a better life, a life that makes a difference, a life that has a joy and a satisfaction and a peace that the world cannot know. If you want to talk with someone about that this morning, we'd love to talk with you. Please see us before you leave. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was willing 
to die the death that we deserve to die, to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay so that we could be made right with you. Thank you that he made a way for us to be delivered from our sin. While we were still enemies, while we were spitting in your face and we hated you and we hated your way, he stepped down into our mess and he made it possible for us to know you and be restored to you. Father, thank you so much for making it possible for me to be forgiven of my sin. But God, you didn't stop there. You continued to move toward me in grace and you've, you've given me your word to, to, to have boundaries for my life that actually lead to my good, that lead to my flourishing, that lead to joy and life and blessing and happiness. Father, I pray that we would be a people who aren't dutiful, who aren't, who aren't just dutiful and trying to, trying to do what we've been told we have to do and just follow some list of rules, but a people who walk closely with you. Thank you so much for giving us your word, giving us boundaries so that we can know where true life can be found, a life that the world doesn't know anything about. Thank you so much for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.